Welcome to That's Podcasting, a movie musical podcast. I'm Cody Pasby. And I'm Paul Ponte. And this week, we continue our look at the works of Rodgers and Hammerstein. We started out, Paul, with uh, two classics, two verifiable, no arguments. Everybody, even if it's maybe not your cup of tea or whatever, you can't deny Oklahoma, South Pacific, when, when you think of Rodgers and Hammerstein, that, that's really two that are at the top of your list of the works that truly define their career. The next movie we'll be talking about is their first venture into making a movie first, an original film uh, courted by Hollywood just after the massive success of Oklahoma and Carousel on Broadway. Courted by Hollywood to create a new movie musical as movie musicals were becoming the thing at the time uh, they were becoming they were really the, still the biggest genre in Hollywood at the time. And we were entering the we were right in the midst of the golden age of movie musicals. And so this is their first crack at it. And that would be 1945's State Fair, uh, which. I think I messaged you earlier today, Paul, uh, if anybody has a lot of reverence for this musical, I apologize in advance because frankly, look, when you're doing a, sh uh, a podcast where you're going to try to watch almost every movie of a single genre, you're going to come across some that just aren't as memorable as the other ones. This is a fine musical there's really <laughs> nothing else to say about it uh, i mean the fact that I mean, we're going to talk more about it but it's just a perfectly adequate musical uh that i think falls victim to just at the time i mean it's been the oldest thing in hollywood uh, i have to look it up this to me felt like 20th century fox seeing meet me in st louis and saying we need that Give us something like that. What do you think, Paul? Am I am I off base there? Um, I don't think so. I think I liked it a little more than you did, but there's definitely a little bit more of a who cares vibe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I, I know we've talked about like the the how these tend to have like A, B, and C plots, like in these movies, but there's a couple in here that are like real c slash d slash e plots um like the the whole pig subplot is like has nothing to do with the main characters the essential plot of the film i mean the, the plot of the movie that i was most engaged with <laughs> and yeah so to me like i felt i felt like there was a few different stories going on and they didn't at least I feel like other mu musicals try to intertwine the stories a bit better. Yeah, I think that, like, by the way, Meet Me in St. Louis came out 1944. Mm. Um, and now, look, I know also both are based off of uh, both are based off of books. So, you know, it's it's not necessarily Hollywood is copying each other, but also kind of Hollywood is just trying to copy each other. Clearly, uh, MGM at this point is the pinnacle. And everybody else is trying to play catch up when it comes to movie musicals. So I think clearly 20th Century Fox saw the success of that 
and said, we need our own wholesome uh, sort of uh, wholesome sort of musical, sort of Midwest musical surrounded by a big event. And uh, there was this book, State Fair, which had come out in 1932, a novel uh, sort of. Uh, just of small stories in and around the Iowa State Fair. There also is the 1933 movie of the same name. But still, uh, I think I tend to believe that they clearly saw that and went, let's do that. There's even a scene at the very beginning of the movie that uh, Jan Crane, who plays Margie, uh, is looking out the window and just it, the ca- the camera it just stays on her almost identical or trying to go for the same exact shot of mm. it made me in St. Louis when Judy Garland is singing the girl next door. Um, so, or the boy next door. Uh, so it, it, look, maybe, maybe that's part of the reason I wasn't as uh, wild, I guess about this musical. It kind of felt like a pale imitation of something I've seen. That's better. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, nonetheless, you know what it is too? Cause it's also Rogers and Hammerstein. Then it, it kind of also feels like them, being held back mm. right I, I think that there's they clearly were like let's instead of writing their style it kind of felt like Roger and Hammerstein writing for Hollywood where you you lose that epic quality maybe it's not just writing them writing for Hollywood maybe writing specifically for the media of movie right so right. you know different timing different beats different everything as far as from writing a stage musical to to writing a movie so maybe they were like they they just didn't have the right flow for their work for Mm -hmm. their workspace in order to do it i guess i don't know for instance if you get like a comic book writer and you're like damn we really want to make this comic book movie and they just grab a comic book writer who's never written a movie and they're like now write us a script for this movie yeah it's yeah. it's a different script for a different kind of media. It might not necessarily work the same way. Uh, so maybe that's what it is. Is that when they, when they, it's immediately like, well, no, I. When you're writing a musical, you're like, I know I'm going to write a three hour musical right now, <laughs> and they're like, well, no, we want you to write half of that. Go ahead. That's it's 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 a little. I don't know. I, maybe that's what it is. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that just also reminded me of. Do you remember that uh, uh, movie that came out? I don't want to say about five six maybe even seven years ago. Uh, what was it called? It was written by Cormac McCarthy. Uh, the screenplay was written by Cormac McCarthy. The Counselor? And it had like oh. a... And remember how just absolutely batshit that move... Like, the characters were talking. I'm like, who oh, yeah. the fuck are you people? Yeah, <laughs> that was a Javier Bardem, re- wasn't it? Yes, Javier Bardem, and, Penelope uh, Cruz, Cameron Diaz, Brad Cameron Pitt. Diaz. Uh, I think Fassbender's in there. Yep. Uh, just that's the movie where Cameron Diaz uh, drops drops her hooch on yeah, the, uh, on yeah. the on the car window. Right, people doing absolutely insane shit, just it's insane things in a way that just uh, yeah, everyone is an insane person. Uh, so yeah, it's, point being, if you're talented in one medium, it doesn't always translate to another medium. Uh, or sometimes, think, like the counselor, you're even better at it. That's true. <laughs> We're all. In 2020, we also have counselor fever. I mean, damn right. It hasn't stopped. It hasn't let up. It has not let up. But let's let's retrace our steps here. Uh, how did this movie happen? Well, let's go back a little bit. Just after Rodgers and Hammerstein, their back-to-back run, as I mentioned, of Oklahoma and Carousel, 
they were basically the hottest names in entertainment. Uh, Musical Mad Hollywood wants to get in on the action, so they're approached by 20th Century Fox to write the music and lyrics for an upcoming movie musical based on the 1933 film State Fair, itself an adaptation of the 1932 novel. So both men are actually pretty hesitant to work with Hollywood, which I think kind of says a lot about the way maybe they approached it, um, where they didn't go all in and just say, you know what? We're going to do exactly what we want to do instead of writing what they want. Richard Rogers was especially uh, hesitant because he had a very frustrating uh, first experience with Tinseltown. He actually wrote multiple films in the 30s uh, at the height of the Great Depression to make some extra money with his former writing partner, Lorenz Hart. They grew frustrated with studio execs and producers, though, because they made constant cuts to his music. But money talks, so both men agreed, uh, on the condition that they could write the music at home in New York and not have to set foot in that godless wasteland known as Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> they, they did agree. Such stuck-up Broadway dorks. I know, right? They're just like, by God, if we have to step foot in 70-degree, beautiful Los Angeles... I'll have we none are of it. Theater people. Yep. I need the rigid cold in the dirty streets of New York, or else I can't think. I can't be inspired. Everything's going according to plan uh, until Richard Rogers catches wind that the movie's musical director, Alfred Newman, was making changes to some of their songs. Alfred E. Newman? Yeah, not that Newman. Not that Alfred okay. Newman. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, basically Richard Rogers sent a letter. What are you doing? And Alfred Newman just wrote back, what, me worry, you know? So, exactly. And everything was fine. And You'd say he might be mad. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, apparently he was making changes to some of the songs specifically to the song it might as well be spring which is that first number uh, of, of the movie and one that we hear throughout the film sung by margie the crux now, the crux, of the film really the backbone of the movie in many ways that was originally supposed to be a very upbeat bright sort of jazzy song uh, Newman thought this would work better as a much softer song, almost a ballad. Um, Rogers objected, and despite that, the studio sided with Newman, uh, and they changed the song without, uh, yeah, basically said, screw you, we're changing it. This is what I don't understand. Why would you hire a talented couple of people and be like, nah, we don't like what you did? Like, I mean, that's Hollywood in a nutshell. I, I guess, but it just seems like insane to me to be like, uh, you know, we'd like you to write this song for us. No, no, no. But can you actually write it di write it differently? It's like, well, no. You asked us to write a song. <laughs> we wrote you a fucking song. This is like <laughs> the people, like uh, you know, graphic designers who, like, you know, hey, make us a website or or make us a poster. All right, uh, I want this, this, and this. All right, here's what it looks like. Nope, that's not what I wanted. Like, yeah. This is, but this is what you said. Especially like specific Hollywood. artists. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like if you hired like Garth Brooks to write a song, you wouldn't mm -hmm. be like, eh, can you make it less country? Uh, like it's, it seems like a very silly thing to do. Yeah, yeah, and that's how you get uh, you, you do that enough, and uh, that's how you get what was his alter ego's name? Oh, Chris Gaines. Yeah, that's how you get Chris Gaines. That's yeah, my favorite artist, Chris Gaines. Right. Everyone's again. We're all still talking about the counselor. We're all still talking about Chris Gaines. 
I actually edited a fan edit where the counselor, all the songs in it, are replaced with purely the music of Chris Gaines. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I bet you that works. I bet you it works. I bet you it brings out the bo- the best in both. Works. In a completely just a fan edit related digression, I just downloaded the a fan edit where they went through all of Lost and they made everything chronological. Uh-huh. So I look forward to watching that soon. Very nice. Very nice. Uh no Chris Gaines music, unfortunately, though. Unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. Anyway. So Yes, they basically tell Richard Rogers, shove it, we're doing whatever the hell we want. It kind of also explains why in their subsequent productions, we learned on Oklahoma and South Pacific, and I'm pretty sure on most of their future productions, they are basically watching like a hawk uh, on how the movie is being made. They're like on set or around set or um, basically are, are dictating exactly what needs to happen on almost all their future projects and why there's a pretty big gap between when their musicals hit the stage and when these movies actually were made. I think because it took them a long time to finally trust Hollywood again uh, with the mm. and all uh, d- to build up the pedigree that they could be like, now we're calling the shots. Despite all of that, it might as well be Spring won the Academy Award for Best Original Song at the Oscars that year. And Rogers had to begrudgingly admit that uh, it was the good. It was a good call to change it to a ballad. So uh, the director of this movie was Walter Lang. He adds this movie to a very prolific filmography, which already included films starring Betty Grable, Shirley Temple and Henry Fonda. And later on in his career, he directs another Rogers and Hammerstein classic, The King and I. In 1956, uh, it wouldn't be a golden age musical without some dubbed singing, and this movie has plenty of it. In fact, two of the film's lead actors, Jeanne Craig and Dana Andrews, both of them are dubbed. This, despite the fact that Andrews was actually a trained singer, something the studio had no idea about. They were just completely unaware. He didn't tell anyone. No one, and no one asked. Apparently, why? No. You want to talk about the way they made movies back then. You're making a musical and you just forget to ask one of the leading men in the movie. Hey, can you sing? That's it. That's all you have to do. Hey, can you sing? Yeah, I think I can. All right. Sing a couple of notes. See, I don't believe in, I don't believe in dubbing. I don't believe in it. I don't, I don't believe in it as a principle. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you hired Russell Crowe, you're stuck with Russell Crowe. You know what I mean? Like, you made your decision, and yeah. you stick with it. In a, in a weird way, Paul, you're right. Yeah, you made a decision, you stick with it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, fair enough. Fair so, enough. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he could sing, but no one knew. I mean, at some point, he could have also said something, but he never said a word about it. <laughs> That's true. He could have said something. He never said a word because he... Later on would say he didn't want the actor who was dubbing him to lose his job, which, hey, you know what? That's actually pretty admirable. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. It's a very nice gesture, although he never has another chance to sing on screen for the rest of his career. So maybe I don't know at the same time, maybe selfishly, maybe should have spoke up. I'm just, there's plenty of musicals. The guy who was dubbing your voice probably was going to find work somewhere else. Just saying. 
this movie, nothing really, in terms of the production, nothing really stands out. Jan Crane stars as Margie, Dana Andrews, as I mentioned, Dick Hames himself, uh, a, 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 a very renowned singer of the time, plays Wayne, Vivian Blaine. With Who Ed, does he Emily look Andrews. like? You know what? I was trying to figure this out, too. He looks like he looks like he looks, his face looks so familiar. I had to look at his thing to see if like I might have I might have seen him in something when he was older, but nothing. I'm I'm so like, who does this dude look like? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure that out too, and and frankly I can't. Um, yeah, the only thing I really found out about him, a very good singer, uh, apparently made a name for himself. Uh, as a singer during the Great Depression to make some uh, to make some extra money for his family. Uh, also was uh, married, I think, believe had six wives uh, throughout his short uh, throughout his life. So uh, guy got around. Uh, but that's about all I, guess so. I really know about the guy. <laughs> uh, you also have Charles Winninger, who plays the uh, father Abel and Faye Bainter, uh, who had won the Academy Award just a few years earlier uh, as Ma Frake, Melissa Frake. General reaction to this film could be described as a smidge better than apathetic. The Harrison's reports called it, quote, capably directed, unquote. The New York Times raved, quote, no more than an average screen musical, unquote. And the New Yorker said it was, quote, nice. I don't think you could use anything stronger. <laughs> that New Yorker review actually had me in stitches that's it's very funny that is like did the writer take take uh his a day off and invited his elderly grandmother to come write the review for him <laughs> that's nice <laughs> that was nice what'd you think of the musical it, it was nice there are worse ways to spend a sunday they all look like they're having such a good time <laughs> my sundays used to be spent in the fields you know <laughs> Tending to the cows, orange groves, but now I could go watch a moving picture. This is better. That's nice. I used to go to the state fair. (laughs) Yes, even at the box office, while the film did well, it did just well enough. I think it just doesn't quite get into the top 10 movies of the year, but is right at the edge of it. This was certainly not the kind of reaction that Rodgers and Hammerstein had become used to, which I think also plays a part of them bolting back to the stage where they feel a lot more comfortable. Uh, Despite the less than electrifying response, admiration for the film has grown over the years. It's remade in 1962 with the same title, I believe it stars Pat Boone uh, in that version. Uh, Although the original version was then titled It Happened One Summer for television releases subsequently to avoid any confusion. In 1996, the movie finally makes its way to Broadway, uh, and it was nominated for four Tony Awards, although I think it only ran for uh, maybe a year or so before it also went off stage. Before we go any further, though, Paul, the real star of the show, you know, like how New York City is its own character, is like a character in so many movies, the Iowa State Fair, in many ways, is the main character of Mm -hmm. State Fair. Agreed. So this is when you think of state fairs, it's you kind of do think of like when you when you have a, a a generic de facto state fair. I tend to think of the Iowa State Fair. It's the one that it's kind of like what Iowa is known for, uh, other than like corn as well. Um, but I guess that kind of goes hand in hand. You have corn on the cob at a state fair, right? 
Yeah, so uh, let's just go. I just want to go into the history a little bit of the Iowa State Fair, if you'll indulge me. Uh, it's been held since 1854. Uh, specifically, it's been held at the Iowa State Fairgrounds since 1886. Arguably the most famous state fair in the country. Without question, one of the most popular. Uh, Pre-pandemic, it averaged a million patrons over an 11-day fair. Yeah, so it's very popular. Very, very popular. Sounds like it. Some of the long-standing traditions include the butter cow, uh, the butter cow, which was first uh, sculpted back in 1911. Somebody decided I'm going to build a giant sculpture of a cow made of butter. And that person is a genius who their, their legacy lives on to this day. More butter sculptures. I, Paul, the fact that you mentioned Garth Brooks here. No, because more no. butter sculpture that have come, come butter sculptures that have come about over the years, thanks in large part to the butter queen herself, Norma Duffy Lion. She sculpted six different cow breeds out of butter, uh-huh. uh, a butter version of American Gothic, The Last Supper, and Butter Garth Brooks, among many others. Oh dear. There's also uh, a Butter Elvis, but I mean, Butter Garth Brooks is funnier. Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots and ruined your <laughs> Iowa State Fair. <laughs> this is the whitest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> There's nothing whiter than everything you've just described right now. Butter like, Garth is... Brooks and Butter Last Supper and Butter Cows and... Uh, Well, you know why you need all that butter? So you can butter the thunder rolls. (laughs) What? (laughs) You know, the more I do research Iowa State Fair, which I had known a little bit about, I kind of knew about the butter cow. uh, it, It truly is like, if you want to look into the heart of America, and in many ways into the heart of darkness, uh, look no further than the Iowa State Fair. I mean, it is just indulgence. It is, uh, in many ways, like uh, how American politics has crept into every orifice of our life. Is the Iowa State Fair, uh, even something as seemingly delightful and carefree as that, is, in many ways, has become highly politicized because it's the it's where you start it's where every presidential election presidential cycle begins at the iowa state fair which is probably why a lot of people know about it but before we go into that some of the other things they're known for of course is their deep fried foods including you guessed it fried butter um a fried pickle dog how does that sound pastrami that sounds good but how does it sound when i actually describe what it is okay pastrami or ham with cream cheese and a pickle deep fried Actually, it sounds awesome. It sounds great. What do you? It sounds, it sounds fucking delicious. I thought you were about to throw some some random nonsense in there. No, that sounds great. No, no, no. It actually sounds uh, for pastrami with cream cheese and a pickle, all deep fried. Is it sounds glorious? Uh, and of course, fried Coca Cola uh, became notor- uh, became famous at the Iowa State. Fair. How does that work? Yes, that is a fry. That's like a. I know Texas State Fair. There may be someone who's from Texas who will be like, no, no, no. That's a Texas State Fair staple and they took it from us which may be uh i don't really know if you know the history of fried coca-cola please let me know but i I think they like freeze dry it or something i don't know and you drink you eat as a little ball it tastes like coca-cola apparently okay 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd have to look up. Ex- I, I remember seeing this at one point. And of course, uh, the tradition we all know, uh, in, in many ways, you know, uh, if, you, if you were repulsed by the butter cow, maybe repulsed by, <laughs> uh, you know, a politician eating a uh, fried pickle dog. Uh, of course, that starts the, all the president's presidential campaigns begin at the Iowa State Fair. Who starts it? Dwight Eisenhower in 1954. Uh, he is the first presidential candidate to use utilize the state fair as essentially the beginning of the presidential campaign season. Of course, the first uh, primary or caucus is the Iowa caucus. Uh, he starts the political soapbox when political candidates, most often presidential candidates, have 20 minutes to answer questions, uh, often from a man eating fried butter on a stick. That is America in a nutshell. Yep. Also, also, the last thing I'm going to say about the Iowa State Fair before we actually start talking about the movie, I'm just so tickled by all the stuff about the Iowa State Fair. And, you uh, are obsessed. Yeah, go uh, oh, to the what are the Iowa University of Iowa Hawkeyes, I think. Go Hawkeyes. Uh, the pride of Iowa, Paul. When you think of the pride of Iowa, what, what really comes to mind? Obviously, the State Fair. Obviously, corn. That almost is a hint. When you don't is think it? of the food corn, but the band corn, this is almost in the, um, they're kind of in the same ballpark, this band, although maybe on the rougher edge, clearly. The more metal edge rather than the new metal. Oh, isn't this Slipknot? Slipknot, yes. Iowa's own yeah. Slipknot performs, they have basically performed at every state fair over the last decade plus. And apparently it's the one event that sells out instantly every time at the old Iowa State Fair. How times have changed. How times yeah, have changed. From the, uh, we need a remake of this movie today starring Slipknot. There you go. Is basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah, they can go to a psychosocial. <laughs> so there's oh. a Slipknot fan somewhere listening, and they chuckled heartily at that Thank pun. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about the movie uh, cody be- cody cody paul 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 how do you not talk about the you you talk about a lot of musicals and the impact they have but cody sure this movie had an impact in international relations for the united states wait excuse me i missed this general george marshall went to went on a peace mission to china in 1946 to try and uh, discuss the nationalists and the communists working together some kind of a peace treaty under Harry Truman. Mm-hmm. He said, and I quote, that the State Fair did more to tell the Chinese about America, about the heart and soul of its people, more than I possibly could have in hours of talking. So apparently the Chinese were very big fans of the movie State Fair. Wow. That is something honestly when you do think about it like the the actual plot of the movie is so like you've seen it a million times before but it is those little in-between parts where you're actually doing fair shit the pickle eating contest the mincemeat the pigs that is america that is like that is a very american thing that competition yeah and all that it's a very, very American thing. And obviously the songs and the dancing and the love and all that. But 
Yeah, that makes sense. We all can. We all would achieve world peace if if everybody just got a peek into the heart is, and soul of us. Is there anything more American, Cody, than taking items and animals that could normally be used to feed people and instead making money off of them? Exactly. Exactly. Superficially. That's exactly what it is. So the movie begins. Uh, we see Ma and Pa uh, preparing for the state fair in the song. Our state fair is a grand state fair. The best state fair in the state. I'm not going to say Rogers Hampshire phoning it in here, but, you know. Yeah. Um, I did think it was funny that th- there are moments in all these old musicals, especially, where the ADR is off. This movie yes. starts with an obscenely bad ADR missync on the dad, <laughs> on the father driving his truck from a wide shot. And he is not doing anything with his mouth close to what is being said on screen (laughs) and it is so funny like i'm like really that's the first shot in the movie the opening shot like that's how you introduce the song yep that's how we do it come on so yes they're singing the our state fair and uh ma calls uh to her daughter uh that would be uh, margie who is also packing up for the state fair but definitely a a sort of melancholic mood uh as she is getting ready for the fair and sings the song it might as well be spring this is the one i was saying is so just like almost a carbon copy of the beginning of meet me in st louis they are they are just like that's what we need we need our judy moment do what judy does uh, be the young, innocent girl staring out the window, wanting more, uh, as it's just the static shot uh, of her yeah. um, with knowing that she's dubbed. I, usually, at least I could say, like, hey, what a lovely voice, you know, yeah. great performance. But um, she's dubbed, so it's not her. It's <laughs> can't even don't even have that. So. She looks great. She looks great. You, you look great, darling. You look lovely. All, uh, all the, the men and women in this movie, all gorgeous. They're Just. all very, very strapping young lads and beautiful women. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If you were just like, like uh, picture in your mind good-looking people in the 40s, like, that's like yes. the faces you see. Yes, absolutely. We then see Pa uh, or Father Abel. Uh, he's tending to his pig, my favorite character in the film, blue boy uh as his neighbor his very emo neighbor uh dave miller played by percy kilbride basically tells him like um nothing's good nothing's nothing good is gonna happen like if something good happens it means something bad has to happen this is the way life balances itself out uh a very uh, kind of ahead of its time thinking for 1945 i guess um so he bets his fatalistic neighbor, hey, I'll bet you $5, this pig is winning the state fair. But also, Paul, I have to mention it, it comes and goes throughout the movie. What is this accent? Is this how he really sounds? Because it's almost, there are moments where I'm like, is he doing an Irish accent? Like, brief moments. I'm like, what is that? Are you like, about the neighbor? No, I'm talking about Pa. I'm talking oh, about pa. Father Abel. Right? He's got a bit of a weird thing to his voice. I don't I don't know. It's very strange. You know, I didn't notice it, but maybe I, it's possible. Yeah. 
I mean, it's not. It's just this Midwestern sort of style of talking that uh, I guess here in California, we're not uh, as used to hearing. It hits the ear. It, maybe it just hit my ears uh, a little strangely is all. Well, he used to be a vaudeville actor, so maybe he's just yeah doing stuff with his vocal. That's like, okay, I don't know what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this bet he makes is weird as shit yeah, because it it's not just about the pig. It's like, and nothing good will happen. It's it's or like the, yeah, something it's the bad pig has happen. to win and nothing bad happens. It has yeah. to be both things because because this whole idea is if something good happens it means something bad has to happen to balance it out what a weird thing to say very one fatalistic to, to very strange to a weird thing to bet someone on yeah just very, all very weird. very specific yeah and nothing bad can happen absolutely nothing uh and then he gets all like high and mighty at the end and he's like uh, uh, uh how about your kids how are they feeling yeah, we'll get to that just later. Like, that's gotcha. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also that's a very weird. Also, yeah. so they're still getting ready for the fair. Uh, Barge's downstairs with her mom as she is making mincemeat. Mince. Uh, uh, there is. Uh, we talk about the dollop all the time, and there is one of my absolute favorite episodes. Is the episode about mincemeat, by the way, uh, which is a horrific food, <laughs> just yes. in every way imaginable, and the fact that it was in such high demand and was seen as like as like really uh home like really warm like home cooking like that gives you it just reminds you of home is just uh, just a just a terrible look at uh, how the past was if anyone ever tries to tell you oh the good old days no everyone ate fucking mincemeat and it was repulsive have you eaten mincemeat i don't think i ever have actually I think I had mincemeat pie. Is there when good mincemeat? Maybe there's some good mincemeat. I, I think know. I've had mincemeat pie in England. But I don't know if that's the same as the American version of whatever they called mincemeat. That's the thing, is like mincemeat isn't really meat anymore. It's yeah. just like mushed up vegetables and fruits that kind of resembles meat in texture. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Anyway, the point is even Paul knows that if you can't make good mincemeat without a lot of brandy. Uh, Ma doesn't want to do that, but as she exits the kitchen, he pours a lot of brandy in there uh, as she has to go tend to the telephone as he's just drinking it in the middle of the day, putting it in, all that. Um, and as uh, Ma then almost contemplates putting in more brandy. Oh, see, that, that would have been great. Just keep putting in the brandy, Ma. No one cares. Get everyone drunk on your miss me. It's wonderful. Uh, we then meet uh, Margie's brother, and that uh, would be Wayne, who is playing horseshoes, wearing his college sweater in the in the barn, yeah. uh, played by Dick Hames, as uh, they're all getting ready for the state fair. Uh, you're looking like, a, as you said, everyone in this movie, um, very, very handsome, very strapping, strapping young lad. He gets on the phone with his then-girlfriend, uh, I didn't even catch her name. What is his girlfriend's name? Oh, good God! This is the funniest thing. Is you? No one really. Re- she's barely mentioned. You see her barely at the beginning, uh, and then yeah, at the end of the movie, where you think, oh, he's gonna get with the singer. Uh, nope. He's uh, he's happily again with his girlfriend, who you literally saw for five seconds at the beginning of the film. Just all right. Yeah. 
I guess. Sure. Whatever <laughs> makes you happy, buddy. So, yeah, he's talking to his girlfriend about, uh, yeah, coming, uh, or this girl he likes, clearly, uh, about going to the state fair as Margie then uh, does what she's doing and just looks off into the distance, forlorn, wanting more, sings a reprise uh, of It Might As Well Be Spring on the porch of her house. Her then-boyfriend, I believe fiancé, is that confirmed that that's her fiancé? Uh, I believe it is. Yes, uh, well, Margie's no, 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 fiancé. No. No, 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 it's, it's not her fiance, though. Okay. Because the mother, when she's like, oh, I heard you talk, talking about possibly the future. She's like, any new developments in that? Oh, true, or like true, any true. serious development? Like, So she's asking, basically they're talking about it, but it has not been finalized. Right, right. That's true. I didn't think about that. So he steps onto the porch. That is Harry. And by the way, Paul, Harry, he is played by Phil Brown. Now... Does that name at all ring a bell? Phil Brown. It shouldn't. I mean, it probably should not ring a bell. Okay. But for very, very, very obsessive Star Wars fans, that name will ring a bell. That is Uncle Owen. Oh, wow. That is Uncle Owen in Star Wars. Luke Skywalker's uncle. Wow. Yes. Uh, who shows up as this nerdy boyfriend. Also, classic trope of musicals of this era. The nerdy fiancé that you're stuck with. This nerdy farmer of the future, too, where they're like, ah, in the future, we'll have... Uh, and just oblivious to everything. Right. Scientific like, irrigation, electric milking. He's like, won't it be great? It'll be like every room in the house is a bathroom. If there's anything that gets a woman real hot, it's it's talk of electric milking and scientific irrigation. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, he's talking about his modern farm of the future that they will live on and raise a family uh, when they're married. But uh, he does tell her because of that, he can't go to the fair because he's got to take care of the cows. Margie, though, uh, kind of likes the charm of an old house. She's not really all that into uh, the future that Harry is uh, throwing out there. A future, of course, where he represses his young nephew uh, to not seek uh, the uh, true story of who his father is <laughs> and his family uh, roots, of course. So both uh, Margie and her brother Wayne are uh, basically going to be without a date for the state fair as uh, his girlfriend also cannot go to the state fair. But they head off for the Iowa State Fair full of uh, opportunity and uh, a chance for something new. Maybe love. Uh, we get our glimpse of the state fair. We see just some great looking bovines, some great looking steers. Uh, I'm all about this part. Great horses prancing. Uh, Top notch stuff here uh, all around. I mean, I'm into it. Uh, we see a man eating fire, carnival barkers, burgers getting flipped. It's great. Yeah, it's um, a this, real big montage of just of fair stuff. This really is like, I could totally see why. In Chinese American negotiated uh, talks, peace talks, like they showed them this movie. That montage alone is like, do you want to know what America is? Here it is. Yeah, carnival barker, I, a man, a carny <laughs> lifting weights with his with between his elbows or whatever. I almost thought like the State Fair like paid to have themselves in this. Like, yes. here's a commercial for the State Fair. Doesn't it seem great? Absolutely. 
so we head to the state fair. By the way, uh, Ma also, not only the mincemeat, but uh, she also prepares uh, pickles as well uh, that she's going to have in competition. So they set up camp at the state fair as Ma is preparing her food and Wayne goes out for uh, a bit of us a bit of a perusing around at the carnival and this is where we meet Paul maybe the best character in the movie <laughs> this just uh, cranky this absolute crank this carney who is about to is trying to rip them off for everything they've got uh, putting a dollar bill on every little target for the ring toss did you recognize the carnival barker I don't think I did who is it uh, if you ever watched Nick at Night when you were very young uh, you might have seen a little show called MASH and uh, oh that's right yeah he's also in Dragnet uh, but yeah MASH was like one of his his huge roles yeah mm-hmm. uh, also we learn here that uh, Wayne does not do a good job of uh, letting go of grudges uh, because apparently he was all he he, he sought out this guy <laughs> Because he ripped him off the year before. This dude chucked away a few dimes the year before the year before and got a fake, what was it, watch? Yeah. Or no, pistol. A fake pistol. The first time he went. Yeah, because you know what's great? Uh, I we I really miss the days where you know you could win an actual gun at a carnival game. You know? Yes. Those the, the, the more innocent days. Yeah. Represents America. Anyway. um, Exactly. So this guy spent, I'm going to wager, 40 cents, got fleeced, and he thought, next year, I'm going to take this guy down to the point where he's practicing at home, ring toss, for weeks, months, Mm -hmm. a year. Just to come back and throw it in this dude's face. <laughs> now, Cody, that is an amount of petty that I aspire to. Thank that you. Is, that is <laughs> that I I cannot believe how how petty this is. It is so wonderfully small. <laughs> it is so great. It, it's incredible. He is being so petty. Uh, he's winning so much, which, by the way, not illegal for him to win. He's not cheating or anything. He's yeah. just good. But also, yeah, at some point, he would have given him the warped rings before he would have done the. Oh yeah, absolutely. The grift, because hundred yeah, percent. He's not a good carny. Clearly, he's just yeah. That's what it really comes down to. Be better at your job, uh, Carnival Barker. He at one point gets so upset he threatens to call the police on him for winning. Yeah. Um, so. Okay, so I actually have a car- I have a Carney story. Yes. So, uh, we were at uh, I-, I used to play in a marching band, a Portuguese community band, mm-hmm. and we would every year we would march in in Half Moon Bay, and in Half Moon Bay it was the same time they would have a little carnival, and so there was like I forgot what kind of a game it might have been like a like a baseball throwing games one of those where like you have to knock something down the milk carton or, or the oh milk no, no, no 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 it was the balloons it was the the balloons oh, with, yeah, the, darts with, with the, balloons. the darts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my friend goes up and he plays a little bit. And the guy's like, oh, uh, do you want to play for money? And my friend's like, I, I guess. Yeah, well, like how much money? He's like, oh, like, you know. And he starts like 
doing hella double talk. He's just like, oh, you know, it's only like three bucks and you'll give you three darts, you know, and then if you then if you make one, then you double it up and then you go sideways and you make it this way. And he's like, he's saying a bunch of shit. And my friend's just like, uh, all right. So he goes, he goes, ah, you didn't make it, but I'll tell you what, five more dollars and blah, 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 double it up, go and do it back again. Motherfucker. Yeah. So he goes, he goes, and at the end he's like, all right, man, yeah, sorry you didn't, ma- sorry you didn't win anything, but you know, so I'll be like 50 something bucks, man. <laughs> and, and my friend's like, what? He's like, yeah, you know, you did the first one, you did the first round for $3 and the next round it was $5 each, each thing. And then the next one after that was five more dollars. So, ba- and then he's like, and then you win again. I said, double or nothing. And you said, yeah. So that was $10 each one. And like, he, he basically like double talked and fleeced him out of a bunch of money. And so my friend goes, no, at this point, I'm standing next to my friend. I noticed three other carnies who are now standing behind us in a circular fashion. And I'm like, oh, you got to pay this dude. Because we're about to get, we're about to get stabbed with like some rusty, you know, box cutters. That's or this is going to be now. this is going to be like cleaning your dishes instead of when you can't pay for the bill, except you now become a carny for the rest of yeah, your exactly. life. Exactly. You have to give some some teeth or something. But <laughs> Yeah, so that that happened to a friend of mine. I was there to see the whole thing, and it was it was like it was crazy too. Like, they must have like because all of a sudden I turned and they were just there. So they must have like as this was going on, like known okay at, at some point we gotta like have them surrounded so they can't like r- just leave. So they like snuck around us, and I was like, this is so crazy. Holy shit! Do not fuck with carnival guys, dude. Do not you don't fuck with carnies. You don't. Never. My, also, it's my friend's fault. I mean, yeah, but, but yeah, but come on, Carney. I mean, I get it too. Like, that's not an easy life. Like, you gotta, you gotta stick up for your guys. So, in wrestling terminology and Carney terminology, my friend was a mark. <laughs> he was a precisely. He, he was a mark precisely. Yeah. Well, uh, Wayne is quite the opposite of a mark at this point. This guy, oh, no, is absolutely, he's... he's absolutely playing the Carney here. At some point, to break up the tension, a beautiful young woman played by Vivian Blaine, uh, defends Wayne and says that she is the daughter of the chief of the police uh, to basically get him off of his back. That's where he then explains, like, I've been waiting for this moment for the last year. Every night I go to bed cursing his name, thinking of him, thinking of the awful things I'll do to this carny. And eventually the carny just pays him to go away, (laughs) gives him the money. And then, uh, yeah, everybody essentially disperses after that. The two make light talk as then he tries to uh, ask her out on a date. Of course, this is Emily Edwards. And uh, she says, well, she's late for an appointment. She has to rush off. Uh, But that uh, maybe she can meet her later that night uh, as the two then disperse. We go back to Margie. Margie grabs a ticket to go on the roller coaster. A nice young couple wants to get in. Uh, together in a seat so the man who's sitting alone decides to go sit with margie what roller coaster is this am i just thinking that every old roller coaster looks like the giant dipper because boy oh boy that looks like the giant dipper i i'm gonna guess the giant dipper is the same track as many different roller coasters across the united states i mean but even the painting of it and everything but you're right i'm sure it's just everything looks like that uh, for for that era the roller coasters of that era So she's absolutely terrified, but luckily this nice strapping lad uh, is sitting next to her as uh, to comfort him to comfort her the whole time. Uh, After the ride, this man invites Margie to 
go and get to know each other over a coke and uh, what may be our first uh our first instance of product placement in a major motion picture i i genuinely do not know if that's the case but i i almost feel like it is like like they're, they're not doing this in 1945 uh the two get to know each other over that uh, name brand coca-cola uh he turns out to be a reporter named pat played by dana andrews he's covering the fair for the des moines newspaper uh he suggests that he and margie maybe should uh, spend a little more time together at the fair and hey if things don't work out they could break it off with no hard feelings you know the classic state fair fling if you will let's go look at a couple of cow butter cows and uh, remember the good old days we'll always have the butter cow as uh, we often say you know what i have the roller coaster oh really it is the it is the giant dipper at venice pier so it is a giant dipper it's just not that giant dipper that i'm thinking of in santa cruz is the one yeah i'm, I'm of. guessing it's the same company right it is a prior and church coaster so let me just see giant dipper santa cruz it is a prior and church coaster. It's the same coaster. Go. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Why it looks. Ex- I, I, I almost guarantee you it's like a it's it's just it's they probably use the same blueprints. Oh, of course. Yeah. And yeah. just recreated it. Meanwhile, there are two love stories in this, usually in a lot of musicals, but we are so lucky as to have three love stories in this musical as we see Abel tending to Blue Boy. Uh, who seems to be sick, like, not, not feeling like himself. That is until the lovely Esmeralda arrives across from him in the pen across from him, and he gets all horned up and ready for competition just by the sight of that beautiful swine, Esmeralda, <laughs> with beautiful brown fur coat. They're both just snorting at each other. It's, you know... Paul, it's it's uh, maybe maybe it's just the residue of uh, the last episode of The Mandalorian, seeing Frogman and Frog Lady uh, uh, again. One of the finest romances caught on screen over the last oh, I'd say maybe a quarter of a century. That I just am having an affection for seeing animals being in love. You know, we all deserve love in this life, so I'm happy for Esmeralda uh, and Blue Boy. I'm sure you are good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what a silly subplot this is it is so like it's not even that like any of the main characters is like with the pig it's like it's it's like the dad right is showing the pig yeah well no it's abel's it's abel's pig for competition yeah yeah, and, and then his friend is like oh here's esmeralda oh what a fine pig that is and blue boy perks up you know you gotta have something to fight for and they called it porky love Thank you. yes indeed that evening the two split off uh as they go off on their dates wayne trying to find his date goes to the chief of police says hey uh i'm here to meet your daughter uh, the chief of police then brings this uh, adorable little redheaded girl with uh, cotton candy and realizes he's been duped. Uh, that is not indeed the uh, girl that he was meant to meet that night. So he goes into the dance alone. Hold on. You're just going to skip over all of them standing there, just laughing in laughing his face? Laughing at him. Like, you fool. Like, they just literally like open 
bold face laugh in his face. And then he leaves and he starts to walk into the dance and he turns around. They all just look at him again and they all start laughing again. And the like, little girl looks at him like, hi. You know, as Wayne enters, he sees his date or the woman he met earlier, Emily Edwards, who sings the song That's For Me. Uh, this is sung by Vivian Blaine, the actress uh, who plays Emily Edwards. What a concept. What a concept, right? It, it's huh. nice how that works out sometimes. This feels so much in the vein, too, of like the... This is why I say Roger Hammerstein are clearly writing for a movie. This feels so much more in the vein of like the types of songs that you would find in like an MGM musical, especially one surrounded by the idea of entertainment and all that, where... We meet a character just by they're on stage and singing a song that doesn't really have anything to do uh, with the plot of the movie. Yeah. It's just a fun number, you know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's a couple of them like that, including the song that he gets from the the guy later. It's kind of like any excuse to like have a random song that doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. That's mm-hmm. kind of like, let's throw that in there as well. Yeah. You almost wonder like if, there were, if they had these songs already in the back burner, just like. We could throw that. We could throw that song in there. Oh yeah, these are all songs that are just like, oh, let's see. Uh, yeah, sure. We can. Yeah, we can. We can put that one in. Yeah, uh, we, why not? That, we wrote that about eight years ago. Okay, we wrote that one about five years ago. Anyway, yeah, but it's a great song. Yeah, it is. It is a very nice song. The song. The songs are good. The songs are really good, actually. Yeah, Once I again, really like the songs. Yeah, they're good. It's good music. Emily finishes her song, and then Wayne meets her at the end of the stage. And asks her for drinks and for a dance. And uh, the two spend the night with one another. Meanwhile, uh, Margie and Pat are both eating candied apples, uh, which uh, just made me remember how hard a candied apple is to eat and why I never eat them. They're really, yeah. really tough on the, on the teeth. And anyway, that's stuck in your gums. Yes, yeah, stuck in your gums and all that. Anyway. So we go back to the dance and we hear yet another song. It's a grand night for singing is the song uh, sung by a, just a, a burly man. Is it the guy later on who he, who gets punched? Is this the, is that who is singing it? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Because he's in the band also. So, yeah, this is it's also Margie and Pat while they're in the little uh, they're in the little plane are also singing this. So we're all just having a grand old time singing you know it's a grand night for singing uh as they're all dancing and, and singing and we got other people also you know gallivanting on their merry-go-rounds and whatnot we hear a reprise of that's for me as uh, margie in a very chipper mood and wayne as well uh sing the song as they're getting breakfast ready the next day seeming to be having a, a lovely lovely time here at the state fair thus far they're told, both completely uh, smitten and in love or falling in love at breakfast. Oh, yeah. It's the punch guy. Okay. I see Fair it enough. now. It's the got punch it. guy. Got it. Got it. Got it. That day, of course, is the competitions as uh, Abel is talking about how excited he is for Blue Boy. And that day really is where we get to the real meat of the movie, if you ask me, the mincemeat competition. Also, the pickle competition. I was going to say, the pickles are a big deal as well. <laughs> I I love this scene. The pickles? <laughs> I like the pickles scene. So first, I, I want to point out, um, what's her name? The daughter. Yeah, Margie. Okay, do you have the, the movie pulled up right now? Yeah, I do. 
You have that scene where they're watching the people eat the pickles? Yes. Okay. So at what like point what? did they decide we need to dress the daughter like a Christmas ornament? <laughs> <laughs> she even got a mistletoe. Yeah. What is going on? <laughs> I'm no oh. fashion expert, but... I'm gonna. This is a hard pass for me. <laughs> yeah, is... yeah. That's especially in August. That's just right? too early. That's just a two. That's a winter. That's a winter ensemble if I've ever seen one. Yeah, it looks like velvet. You know how hot she must be. Very hot. But all in the name of fashion, Paul. I love this scene. Uh, it's it's so, it's so silly. ridiculous. It's so silly. But you know what really is what it is is that I just am all for at least you know essentially one fifth of the movie's runtime is for a pickle and mincemeat competition. I respect the hell out of this decision. <laughs> they just said no. We need to spend at least ten minutes of these men eating uh, these these two men and this woman eating a pickle, smacking their lips comedically. Well, now and I know then, where the son gets it because this woman is obsessed with trying to beat this other old broad at this mincemeat oh, yes. and pickle competition. That's right. There's that woman who is just like everyone is. She's yeah, the, she, she always wins. She's always, always the winner. Wins. She always so wins. So that's why the mother's like, die. she's like, I'm not even going to do this next year. Yes, that's it's right. It's not worth it. How about the weird palate cleansing spray that they yes. get in between <laughs> the, the pickles and the mincemeat? He has like a big. <laughs> It is Excuse like me. a giant perfume, like yeah, old it looks like perfume. A big perfume, like thing, yeah, and he spritzes into each of their mouths, and you have to watch them do it to all three judges. <laughs> it's great. It's so so great. And then, of course, they eat the mince meat, and the one judge just keeps eating the mince meat. Also, I like how um, the reporter—I forget his name already. Uh Pat. Pat. His like boss or like associate is there. And he's like, why are you covering the mincemeat and pickle portion of this? Because this <laughs> is the heart of America yeah. right here. And the mincemeat and pickle. Well, I like what he said, though. Literally, this is Mrs. America, right? Isn't that what he said? Yeah. Uh, which is, he's right. It's a good point. Uh, despite all of her worries uh, about the competition and that uh, awful woman who always seems to win, Ma wins the she wins the pickle competition. She wins the sour pickle competition. She doesn't win the sweet pickle competition. And she also wins the best in show for her brandy-laced minced meat. Yeah, her- also, they, um, they, they're like, and also, not only did you win, but we have this plaque that we don't always give out. But this time, <laughs> this minced meat is so fucking good. You're going to get this plaque right now. <laughs> I know these musicals have low stakes, Cody, sometimes, but this one is... How low can you go? Yeah. <laughs> I am blind drunk from this mincemeat. Take this plaque. Also, after this scene, the mother says one of the most depressing things I think I've ever seen in a musical... I've got the most a woman can get in life, Margie. <laughs> I got this mincemeat plaque. That's as good as it's going to get. I've gotten the most a woman can get in this life, Margie. She didn't even win all three things. <laughs> she won two out of three. I mean, I don't know. She's got nice children, a loving husband. I mean... I'm trying to give her some credit here. 
And now she's got a plaque saying your mincemeat was uh, was amazing. Was the best mincemeat we've ever had. Yeah. It doesn't get much better than that. It doesn't. The most a woman can get. <laughs> That's it. So Pat takes her picture for the newspaper, and then Margie and Pat go off to watch uh, the horses race, the horse and carriage races. Pat's horse wins, and he and Margie embrace uh, as and they kiss. kiss. And they kiss. Oh, do they kiss? Right in front of everyone. A little bit of P, uh, uh, you know, a little too much PDA there. Yeah, especially for this time period. Yeah, well, let's be honest. Come on. I almost expected a random old lady to come out and just be like, are you married? <laughs> <laughs> What's Hi, I'm, a stra- I'm a strange single old aunt that's going to be here to cock block you, Sonny. <laughs> like in every other one of these well, musicals. What happens at the Iowa State Fair stays at the Iowa State Fair. Can I also say one thing I liked about this movie, Cody? Mm-hmm. I appreciate that no one's a dick. Yeah, it's true. No one's really mean. Other yeah. than maybe the carny. But no, but I mean, it. like, as far as like the men in the movie, right, right, right courting right. these women, like, we don't have like the Gene Kelly, like, <laughs> oh, Brash, I don't like yeah. these broads, <laughs> like, <laughs> none of that. They're just both like, I really like this girl, huh? It is such a, it, it and they're is not almost... insulting. It's, <laughs> I know, yeah, at this point, I know the bar is underground and I'm lightly tiptoeing over it, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I appreciate it. You know, they open, they hold the door open when they walk into the room. Uh, it is about the whole, most wholesome movie we may ever watch. Honestly, and even for this podcast. when she's sitting there singing with uh, the uh, the the guy in her band, yeah. like he's a little like sad about it, but he's not like, "Hey, get your hands off my woman!" Her mm-hmm. like, like he's a little bummed. Which is a little immature, but like he only hits the guy because the guy just keeps needling him the whole yeah. freaking time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we'll get there when we get there. But I'm just, I'm just saying, like, for for a lot of these musicals that look to have like a a raucous kind of annoying asshole guy, like they don't really have that in this as yeah. far as the main characters. So Wayne then asks Emily later on to uh, spend the night with him or spend the that evening with him on a date. Uh, she has to decline because uh, she has to uh, host a birthday party for Marty, played by William Marshall. That's the guy who sang the Grand Night for Singing, uh, the guy who gets punched, uh, the man who also sings with her in her band. Uh, she invites Wayne to come along to the party. He kind of stays behind as he dwells over things and talks to her songwriter. I guess song plugger is yeah. What it's he's not her as? songwriter. Right. He's, he's just he is a songwriter. A, he is he is like a um, what what would be the term? Like a like a marketing person for like mm-hmm. for like songwriters. So like right. He ha- he finds songs. He's like almost like an agent for songwriters, and then he goes and he finds singers to sing those songs. That's right. That's right. So. He tells him about he tells him exactly that and then basically tells him, hey, I got this song. I think it would be great for her. And uh, he decides to look it over. He does indeed head to the party. We hear a reprise of It's a Grand Night for Singing. And yes, indeed, everyone is singing and rocking back and forth. Very wholesome. Oh, what a wonderful night for singing. Uh, as Wayne is uh, none too pleased that uh, she is uh, dancing alongside uh, Marty there. He introduces him. She introduces him to Marty. Basically, she says, yeah, he's a bit of a singer as well. Uh, And when he asks, like, this is when he is just 
poking and prodding at him. It's like, I want you to sing one of those little Iowa hillbilly ditties you got going on over here. Yeah, exactly. And then he's like, huh, I'll show you what I got, and lays it all out of the table with, isn't it kind of fun? Which, uh, man, this is, this dude... Wayne just is just mowing people down. First, he gets the carnival barker. He finally gets his revenge. Then this asshole who's just been needling him, like you said, all night. Uh, he's like, oh, you prove it, big guy. See if you can sing. And then he just knocks it out of the park with this song. Good on Wayne. Yeah, uh, this is actually my favorite song in the movie. It's a good song. It is a good I song. I really like the song. Yeah, I really like this one. It'd be, it ends up becoming a, a duet with the two of them. Real nice song that brings the whole party together and, more importantly, sticks it right in Marty's face, which that is really the ultimate goal here. Uh, All the guests are all pleased with it, but Marty, who uh, seems a bit jealous, uh, does find out that Wayne gets the song uh, from the song plugger McGee, who's played by Frank McHugh, by the way. And basically says that uh, b- that McGee probably paid Wayne uh, to m- promote this song to He's Emily. He's getting that payola, that sweet yeah. payola. That sweet, sweet payola. That Wayne is cashing in on his friendship with Aunt Emily. Wayne gets mad, and that's where fisticuffs are raised. And so, yeah. he does knock him out. He c- punches him as he heads out. That's a good punch, too, by the way. Oh, he gives him a... In the streets, Cody, we call that a one-hitter-quitter, is what we call that. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. That's a hell of a way to make an exit. Uh, knocks him out on the ground cold and walks out. Emily runs after him and, and tells him that... Well, first she's like, oh, just stay. Just stay. Right. And he's like, ah... Uh, and I feel him at this point, because I'm like, he already did the walkout? It's over. Aw- you know how awkward it is to do a walk back in? Especially the guy is still out cold yeah. on the ground. Like, how do you even like, you know, the rest of the night like is just awkward at that point. You can't. Oh, yeah. you, can't you can't walk back into that situation. No, no, no way, no way. Come on. And Luckily, then she's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm gonna empty this this place out, and we we're gonna get our alone time. Basically, he decides now. I'm I'm heading off for the night. They do kiss and embrace, uh, as. He leaves for the evening. Meanwhile, Margie and Pat are on a hillside uh, talking as the sun is about to come up. Pat asks Margie if she really does indeed want to marry the that absolute sex pot, Harry. Um, Margie says that she'll probably marry him, which is depressing. Uh, also, at this point, she's wearing like a doll's dress. Like, yes. What what did she do to the costume designer? It's very Disney princess uh, of that time, too. Snow White. Right. The fluffs on her shoulders. I'm like, okay, once again, Cody, I am not a fashion fashionista here, but I got to say, she's getting done dirty by this production. It's ridiculous. I'm telling you, though, I think there is like she kind of has like look at like what Snow White's dress looks looks like. It's got that same frills and puffs and stuff. So I think that's kind of the look. I'm just thinking of her lying back like that and obviously with like a corset on. And, yeah. she, and I'm just like thinking like her leaning back is just in between takes just going. <gasps> <gasps> like, like it's like ready oh, and <gasps> action. <Yep. laughs> oh, I'm so happy to be here. Cut. <sighs> <sighs> All right. <laughs> So between breaths, Margie does ask Pat if she thinks that if he thinks he'll ever marry. Uh, he says if he ever find the right, found the right girl to marry, that he might. 
Well, she has to leave because the seven yeah. dwarves are expecting her back at the at the cottage. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, she has to leave. Uh, but yeah, he said if you ever found the right girl to marry, uh, he would think too much of her to wish a guy like himself on her, as he says. Uh, despite that, uh, that's all like, all right, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Stop making me feel bad. Stop that. Stop with the sob story. Despite all that, he does indeed ask Margie to marry him, but she doesn't answer right away. Pad believes that he'd be no good for Margie, but he still can't help himself. They still make plans to meet at the roller coaster later on, and they kiss and say goodnight. Uh, she starts to walk away, but turns back and tells Pat that she couldn't marry anyone but him. Ever. The next day we get back uh, to the A plot. Uh, Abel is brushing <laughs> Blue Boy, uh, and <laughs> the family is getting ready for what is going to be just uh, really the the climax of everything in this movie. Uh, the pig competition, uh, the apex of all of the drama that's been building up this entire time. Abel and Blue Boy, the ch all the chips are in, but Esmeralda leaves her pig pen, and oh no, Blue Boy is once again depressed. He has to take a little nap. The blue boy got to take a little nap because Esmeralda's gone to love of his life. We go to the pig competition. Uh, we get another guy, by the way, who um, sounds also the, the congressman who also has that sort of weird accent as well. Like, what's happening? Are they trying to get him to do like a Churchill impression, but an American? But also has the FDR glasses on. Yeah. I think he's trying to do more of an FDR. FDR, here. okay. I think that's what he's going for as uh, he's basically christening uh, the pig the, the pig competition, which uh, by all accounts seems to be like the highlight of the fair, by the way. Um, I know they still have a pig competition at every Iowa State fair. That I assume. Still a thing. Yeah, that is still a thing. And it is still considered... Um, maybe the highlight uh, of like the the like the end of it like everything peaks with that so yes blue boy comes out he's doing well blue boy though uh, a little irritable also all the pigs look like blue boy anyway uh blue boy goes well, down on this it's because it's a specific type of ah, boy so point, they're all being point, judged against point. each other good point didn't think about that you know in a dog show, like a, like a dog would, show yeah in a dog show you wouldn't you know, compare a Weimariner to a husky. That's silly. Sure. What are right. you, an animal? It's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. But Blue Boy on the ground, it looks like he's down and out, but the lovely Esmeralda is looking on. Come on, Blue Boy. You got this. I believe in you. I love you, Blue Boy. And he stands up. And by some miracle, Blue Boy wins first prize at the pig competition. Uh, I understand I have spent far too much time dissecting this scene, but it's my favorite uh -huh. parts of the movie. Also, I feel like him lying down in the middle, that should be automatic disqualification. I'm sorry. Well, you have high standards for pig competitions, Cody. I guess I do. I guess I do. You know, I just, I, I just think, Paul, if you don't cry... Uh, for Abel and Blue Boy's win, then, uh, you know, I don't know if you're human. Really. It's a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. So Ma and Pa are uh, delighted 
as they have both won. It's the final night of the competition. Margie and Wayne are both going out. Uh, Ma even says, maybe we should go out. And uh, Paul says, ah, no, you're too tired. Come on. That's a, there's the one, there it is. There's the one moment of a, of a man being a dick, (laughs) him telling his wife, you're too tired right now. This is also the moment (laughs) where we find out that Ma's mincemeat nearly killed one of the judges. How fun. Apparently the very overzealous judge who loved the mincemeat, uh, ate so much of it that he had a seizure as one it, does. It ain't good mincemeat unless, uh, you know, you are, it, you get close to death, you know. Cody, you don't get into the mincemeat game unless you're prepared to suffer the consequences. <laughs> All right. If you're not knocking on death's door from my mincemeat, then it wasn't good enough. Exactly. And uh, what did the two do? Oh, they laugh and they laugh and they laugh. <laughs> We go to the dance. Uh, our good old uh, punchy McPunchface uh, is singing, and we hear the song All I-O, Iowa. Uh, this is like Oklahoma for Iowa, essentially, which makes sense because it's perfectly fine, but it's maybe a bit forgettable. This, this sounds like a fair song, though. This sounds uh-huh. like a fair song, though. This sounds it like a song totally you would hear does. at a fair. It absolutely does. Uh, and I shouldn't be that mean. It's actually a, it's actually a fun song. I actually like this song uh, as both Marty and Emily are singing uh, to the State Fair patrons, singing about corn fed and, you know, all the things you think about when you think about Iowa. Also, Cody, this is the first chance we're actually getting a dance scene, like a real Musical dance scene. That's true. Everything at this point has mostly just been singing. Yeah. Yeah. They had they had singing while they were slow dancing, but that doesn't freaking count. Uh, no. So, but now we actually have a choreographed number. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And even still, it's like, it's mostly just a, yeah, they're, they're all, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a choreographed number. Oh, here we go. That's That's the part, though, that really sells it all is the big... Everybody joining hands and getting in a circle, dosey doing, uh, as we're all celebrating Iowa. I O W A I O A Iowa. Yeah, that's not how the song goes. Mom and Pa have some drinks together. Uh, they head out. There's a great line, by the way. Yeah, where Pa Pa goes, uh, man, this imitation champagne is great. It's just as good as any Fran- f- a fancy French champagne. She's like, have you ever had French champagne? No. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the judge who was getting drunk off of the mincemeat, Mr. Hippenstall, by He's the way. He's keeping this party going. He is keeping the party going. He is probably got like that mincemeat in his pocket and he's just eating it little by little like mm, well, he's drinking still. a beer too oh, he's, yeah, look- he's got a beer he's, he's looking at him giving him eyes like hey he's loving ma he's loving them he's all about it uh he proceeds to follow the two uh around the fair for much of the night <laughs> Uh, while Wayne is waiting at the stage door for Emily McGee, uh, goes up to Wayne, thanking him for his help uh, with the song, and that he mentions that Emily's even going to be singing the song the next night in Chicago, which Chicago is news to Wayne. Uh, Emily's leaving for Chicago. Um, yes, she's leaving that night. She didn't tell him. We go back to Pat. 
who and they're was like, talking. Hey, yeah, he's you talking go to, to Chicago also randomly. That's right. Everyone's going to Chicago. <laughs> uh, we go back to Pat, who is talking to his. Uh, I guess he's another reporter, or is he the editor of the of the of the newspaper? Yeah, something. Yeah, who's basically like, we got to go back. We're done. This this story is over. We're going back to Chicago. We uh, got another assignment. The gig's up. Uh, he's being offered a new job uh, to write his own column, and the boss wants to meet him in Chicago that night about the job. Pat says that uh, he doesn't want to go. Margie's waiting for him, but he's told that if he doesn't leave immediately to go to Chicago, he's not going to get the job, and he is through. We go back to the fair, and yes, once again... Uh, <laughs> Mom and Pa are uh, being slightly harassed by um, Mr. Hippenstall, but uh, oh boy, good old Pa though. Maybe it's just because Ma's in a good mood with the mincemeat competition and the pickle and him winning the pig somehow convinces her to go see a peep show together. I mean, talk about relationship goals, Paul. And the guy goes like, oh, come inside so you can see the dance. When we did it in New York, they changed it. But he says an emasculated version, which is a very weird thing to say a about a group weird. of women dancing. <laughs> he goes, uh, understand? Well, rather do, than do the emasculated version. That's what he says. Yeah. It's like, what? What are you talking about? Well, anyway, he convinces Ma, let's do it. Let's go watch the show. <laughs> well, his face is like, hmm. Oh, yeah. He's like, just eating that popcorn just deviously. So now Emily and Wayne uh, are talking uh, about her plans. And yes, she says, I am going to Chicago with the band. Wayne then says, come home with me, live out our life on the farm. But she says she can't. This guy starting off on the wrong. Yeah, this is before before he finds out that apparently she's married. Right, 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 right. But this is the argument. Listen, give up give your up singing your career. S- exactly. Come join me on the farm. Nah, man. Be like, I want to go to Chicago with you. That would have been the way to do it. That's the move, man. That's the, That's move. the move. That's absolutely the move. But you know what, Paul? It's something we learned, too. It's that entertainers are... Uh, there's It's a mix, though. Actually, you know what? That's quite the opposite. I was about to say, uh, there have been movies where someone's a doctor, and they're like, hmm, not a steady job. I'm, on vaude- I'm in vaudeville. Now, that's steady work where you can find it. Uh, yeah, this guy's this like, I'm a farmer, business. a farmer who has done nothing to help his parents prepare for the state fair. <laughs> he's not helping with the pigs. Nope. He's not helping with the pickles. And he's mm-hmm. damn sure not helping with the mincemeat. He's doing nope. nothing. He's just a pretty face. Yeah, that's really it. Maybe. You know what? The fact I'm that I'm a farmer together... who wears a three piece suit everywhere I go. <laughs> the fact that they don't end up together is probably the right decision. Oh, you know, no, actually, another... it was it was quite refreshing. <laughs> yes, I was fully expecting he was coming back, and there she was in the car with him, and was like, ah, okay, she decided to come home anyway. In fact, no, he realizes he's better off without her, and she realizes she needs to go do her career. You do you. You're right. Very refreshing. Uh, so, yeah, she does go off and says, no, I'm not doing that. Bye. I'm, I'm out of here. Um, so, uh, McGee... Uh, then goes up to Wayne as the two try to, uh, he basically is feeling for him and, um, Hey, time to go get drunk. It's basically what it comes down to yeah. with those two. So, uh, yeah, they go off and, uh, drink their troubles away. 
meanwhile, we go back to the fair. Ma and Pa still having a good time. Pa's trying to get to, trying to ring the bell. Uh, that old drunk judge is still there. Uh, and miraculously, all what did he say? All 125 pounds of you knocks the bell. Something Pa was not able to do. Good, good bit of fun here at the end. Uh, as then uh, the judge still follows them around. It's a little bit creepy at that point. Uh, meanwhile, Margie has not found Pat. Uh, as honestly, Paul, the last the conflict in this movie only begins within the last like fifteen to twenty minutes. There fifteen is essentially to twenty minutes, Cody. We're talking like ten minutes. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Finally, yeah, it's like the, at least with her character, the conflict begins six minutes to the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The state fair is closing. Pat is nowhere to be found. Margie basically is like, I've been left behind. Pat is gone. They leave I've been the left state. behind in my beautiful Oktoberfest dress. Right. <laughs> right. Having to be... Uh, and, and, and I mean, everybody's being split up. Even Blue Boy and Esmeralda. Their love, though, will rage on through the years. We will never forget the example they set. Uh, mm. Relationship goals, again. Ma and Pa realize, realize that uh, their children are kind of out of it, but uh, they think nothing of it. They head back to the farm. Uh, pa tells their uh, very negative neighbor, hey, I won in your face. Suck it. Give me five bucks. Uh, but unfortunately, he is he's basically holding out to be like, hmm, but what are your children doing? How are your children? This is one of the most bizarre scenes I think I've seen in any of these musicals. It's very weird. He's like, mm, but are your children happy? Yeah. Mm, doesn't mm, look like Show it. me those delicious tears, children. <laughs> Let me know that you had a terrible time. Mm. <laughs> like, what a, what a actively, cool. <laughs> actively rooting for this family to be torn apart. That is what yeah. this man is doing. He what is a, jealous. What a, what a ghoul he is. Absolute, absolute wretched human being. But... Margie seems like she is the one like, ah, now you got to give me five bucks. But who is it on the phone? Why? It's Pat. Pat calls the house. Does he apologize for the night before? No, not really. No, he doesn't. He doesn't apologize. No, he doesn't. And, and she doesn't even ask. No. Um, basically, she's just like, oh, my God, it's you. Uh, he got the call on this job. Uh, he's calling from a nearby town to ask Margie to marry him. And he's like, come with me to Chicago. And she's like, yes, of course. Of course I will. Uh, she accepts and basically storms out of the house. And, you know. And steals the dude's car. Because, Paul, love makes you do crazy things. Like, you know, commit grand theft auto. <laughs> Right in front of everyone in broad daylight. And also, to make matters worse, not only is his car stolen, uh, the money is taken out of his pocket as well. <laughs> I guess he earned it. Uh, they meet in the middle of the road. Wayne then goes and um, picks up his uh, former girlfriend, who he realized, eh, you weren't so bad after all, I guess. And uh, they all embrace as we see the billboard of the state fair and the movie comes to a close. Our state fair is a great state fair. That's right. The the best state fair in the state. I'm going to say, like I said, I don't think we are going to cover a more wholesome musical than this one. <laughs> Truly, I don't think we will. Yeah, this was uh, uh, quite a saccharine little uh, film here. Very saccharine indeed. 
very saccharine and yet uh lots of great uh drunken lots of great jokes about getting drunk uh so i appreciate that and maybe paul maybe just maybe uh, gives me the courage to finally eat some mincemeat i don't know i will tell you what it did uh what it did spark in me i want a pickle like a good thick pickle that that sounds great that sounds really, really great. Uh, did I forget to say a funny line in this? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about the moment. It was totally not meant to be a dirty joke, but I think... Uh, I know what somebody, you're talking about. Somebody says, what about your old man's hog at one point? I heard that, and I I, I started laughing so <laughs> beautiful oh man you know what i i think i i, I don't say i was speaking, speaking negatively this movie it's not my absolute favorite but that line alone makes up for it what about your old man's hog fantastic i'm gonna go find a pickle um it makes me yearn for those disneyland pickles mm. uh, you know what i'm talking about yep once you get like on main street coming out of the jam yeah, I'm, I'm into that i need one Anyway, if you can find it, anyone know where to find a good pickle, let us know uh, on our Twitter at Movie Musical Pod. Yeah, that's right, Paul. I'm asking for pickle recommendations at Movie Musical Pod on Facebook as well as well on Twitter. Go to our website, MovieMusicalPod.com for all of our previous episodes and listen to us there. Download us there as well. Also on Apple Podcasts, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Cody Pasby. I'm at the Paul Ponte and paulponte.com for all my photography, music, and podcast projects. And until next year's State Fair, get your corn on the cob ready. I'm Cody Pasby. And I'm Paul Pickles. And we'll see you down the yellow brick road. How's your old man's hog? <laughs>